0: This is Being Better, the podcast about the science behind mindsets and practices that make us happier, wiser and healthier. My name is Julia Sport and I am your host. Join us as each week we break down scientific research and bring you true stories of people from all walks of life to help you make better decisions that will shape your tomorrow. my dear ladies gentlemen and non-binary friends welcome to the being better podcast where it is my job to find new practices and stories from which we can learn to become happier wiser and healthier i hope that you are doing great in this new year i hope that you are taking care of yourself whether you know that is through working out or getting some more sleep or eating more or eating less i think if you are making that choice based on the respect and compassion you have for yourself then it's so great and i fully support you and i'm so proud of you because i know it's not easy to lead with self-compassion but when we do the results are so great for ourselves and for the world around us so yeah i'm so proud of you and to start off this episode i'm gonna share my recommendation for you this week and i thought that in this beginning of new year, I could share a resource for all the people that want to get into meditation this year, because I know that last year that was one of my biggest resolutions. And so I decided to share one of my favorite guided meditations online. Um, It's one of the favorites that I know. I'm aware that there are probably many many great ones that I haven't ever listened to. So this is one of my favorite. It's by the vulnerable Yonggi Mingur Rinpoche. This is the Buddhist monk and one of the current Buddhist masters that is teaching all around the world. You can find many talks with him. He has been quite popular and spreading the word about the buddhist practices and buddhist meditation and so his meditation is very helpful because you can learn what it takes and basically what is it all about and then start performing it yourself i at the beginning when i started meditating it was very hard for me to do it by myself it was very hard for me to listen to my thoughts and i think you have to ease into it, and guided meditation is a great place to start. And I think from someone who has been a practitioner his entire life, learning from one of the current Buddhist masters is very helpful. So I'm going to link that guided meditation in the episode description. I think it's like fifteen minutes, um. So it's not too long. I think it's like a sweet spot, and it's not that hard. He has a great voice and. It's not that spiritually vague, which kind of was annoying for me. A lot of meditations are very vague and you cannot really get what they are talking about. You know, they're talking about that inner eye or, or whatever. And as a layperson and as a beginner, it was very hard for me. So this meditation, which is very like hands-on, let's just do this. This is basically what this is about and then you can do it yourself. I really loved it and yeah, without getting into much detail, I'm going to link it in the episode description so you can check it out and start off this new year well. And also to start off this new year... I thought that today we could talk about a cognitive bias that often holds us back, you know, that distorts our view of the world and of ourselves and thus prevents us from growth. So, If you have made any type of New Year's resolution, such as um, I want to grow my business, or I want to get in shape, or even if it's just, you know, I want to make better decisions, I think this episode is for you. Because today we're going to talk about survivorship bias. So the survivorship bias, or sometimes called survivor bias, is an error that arises because we look at the data or that information that we have but ignore some sort of selection process that led us to have that data um, and then treat it as if it's reflective of the underlying truth when in reality it's probably not. Um, And to better explain it let me tell you a very popular story that is a great example of survivorship bias and it comes from the period of world war ii when the americans were losing so many bomber aircrafts you know when they flew over occupied territory they were shot down so often that these americans decided that something needed to be done and obviously what could help was you know protection so military leaders wanted to reinforce these planes with armor but of course, they couldn't just add armor all over these aircraft because that would make these planes a lot heavier. And then that would inhibit their ability to fly and get to their targets. So they could only add armor to selected areas of the aircraft where they would provide the greatest benefit. And so they did a survey of all the planes that had come back and they noted down where those planes have been shot. And their thinking was that, well, we should just add the armor there where the planes are getting shot the most, and that should help protect more planes, right? Well, wrong. Of course, if you are aware of survivorship bias, you realize that this is actually a terrible idea, because the aircraft's that you are looking at are the survivors they are the ones who have made it back to you and it's the ones that you don't see those are the ones whose hits you need to protect against but how are you to know where those aircrafts were hit since you are never going to see them again right Um, and well the answer is that you just kind of assume that the aircrafts are getting hit randomly and so the ones that are coming back to you are getting hit in places that are not vital and that do not cause them to crash. So the places where they are not getting hit are the places that you need to add the armor and it does seem kind of counterintuitive but once you realize that you are looking at a very selective surviving subset, it is actually quite obvious that you need to protect the places which are unharmed on the planes that are coming back on the survivors, because those are the critical areas of the planes. So this is basically what the survivorship bias is, right? We only focus on the information that we have and sometimes ignore what we cannot see and why we only see this sort of information. And this is a vague example, which is not really applicable to our lives. You know, we are not military leaders during the World War II. So now I want to talk about how it actually influences our daily life now in the 21st century. And I think that because of this bias, we have an inadequate idea of the possibility of success because we only hear or actually seek out the stories of those people who succeeded, of the survivors. And therefore, we will not know the reality of how likely success is. In mind that now I'm talking about success, but success means different things to different people and sometimes it means different things for me too. So a great example of this is the phenomenon that happens in the world of self-help and business. So there are several notable examples of entrepreneurs who dropped out of college to become great successes and in this case, successes meaning, you know, people who had great improvement in revenue and popularity, you know, this is very superficial success. So let me list some examples, and then you can try to think about your position on dropping out of college and whether dropping out of college seems to be a useful strategy for entrepreneurs. Uh, so the people who dropped out of college were, you know, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, all pro and free you know, they're all massively successful people and they did drop out of college. So do you think that this indicates that, right, higher education and college isn't necessary for uh, this type of success? And, you know, you can think about your own answer. I actually read a survey in which people were asked the same question and their response was very overwhelmingly positive. Like, let me read you some of the answers. Quote, yeah, I actually do. I think that This is entrepreneurship. Those guys are all entrepreneurs, so you don't really need college for that kind of stuff because that's a creative mind. Or, quote, yeah, college is not necessary to get that kind of success because I think that wealth or a really good job has much to do with creativity than anything else, unquote. But the thing is, the data shows clearly that more education generally equals better career outcomes you know bill gates and steve jobs are the rare exceptions to the rule and you don't hear about all the college dropouts who worked on new technologies or founded startups and failed but actually they vastly outnumber the few success stories but since we only consider the survivors a lot of people might have this distorted view and think that the possibility of Gaining commercial success when starting a business is very high when you drop out of college and just work on your startup. But in this case, we want to only listen to the survivors. We want to listen to these amazing success stories of creative people dropping out of systemic education because we don't want to listen to the discouraging fact that success is actually never guaranteed and most businesses fail. And most people do not become rich or famous and most leaps of faith go wrong. And listen, it doesn't mean that we should not try. It just means that we should be realistic with our understanding of reality. And actually listening to only these success stories and survivors is not a good representation of reality. And this also ties nicely to another way in which this bias is influencing our lives, especially if you are the type of person who is interested in business and self-help and is very ambitious about their goals and career. And this effect is that we usually only listen to the advice from the survivors from the success stories and don't consider all those who might have failed for some reason, all those who weren't as lucky or who might have faced some sort of obstacle. But we won't be even aware of this obstacle because we don't know about them. You know, we only pay attention to the people or the things that survive because they are the ones that make it through this selection process that is often somewhat random. And we tend to overlook the people and the things that failed because their failure makes them invisible, which is completely normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It just makes them less accessible. But this can lead us to, right, draw incorrect conclusions and make bad decisions. And for example, let me test this now by asking you to identify successful and unsuccessful musical artists. In this case, let success mean popularity and just revenue. And keep in mind that the unsuccessful musicians should vastly outnumber successful ones. So yeah, can you please name now five successful bands or musical artists? You can pause, you don't have to now. Yeah, you probably bank those out really quick. You know, the Beatles, Pink Floyd, Queen, Led Zeppelin, Michael Jackson, David Bowie, whatever. I think that is pretty easy. Okay, but now name five unsuccessful bands for me. It's pretty hard, isn't it? Yeah, you probably just don't know too many. And I personally don't know any of the top of my head. Because I mean, how would you know them if they are unsuccessful? We cannot think of any unsuccessful bands because they are so unsuccessful that they dropped out of sight. And this makes sense, right? It was relatively easy for us to come up with successful artists because successful artists become famous. We hear about them way more often. But what about all the overnight successes that didn't happen? They are invisible to us. But I think we should actually seek out these unsuccessful ones possibly even more than the winners, because otherwise this can be very dangerous. I mean, let's say you are an aspiring musician. You see, since you don't know many bands who haven't won this lottery and who have not become insanely popular to talk about their story on different morning talk shows, Since you don't know these unsuccessful bands, you will not consider the problems and the biggest obstacles on the journey of a typical musician. Or to use a different analogy, if you want to climb Mount Everest and you send out groups of people to check out the biggest obstacles on the way, you shouldn't only take advice from those who happen to make it back with no injuries. Instead, first and foremost, you should very closely examine the ways people failed and also what has caused them the failure. The problem with this bias is that it actually might be more helpful to get advice from people who didn't succeed. They might have useful insights about what to avoid, Or you might discover that they did the very same things as the people who had great outcomes, but they just weren't as lucky. Like, think about your life. You learn more from mistakes. You learn more from failure. You learn more from the times that you fell on the bike than the times that you were just, you know, pedaling happily. I think survivorship bias in listening to people and wanting to grow, wanting to grow your business and taking advice can be very harmful because we forget about the luck that contributes to the success and forget about the people who actually might tell us more, but we just don't hear about them because they did not win, you know? And the last way that this bias influences our lives is that since only the quote-unquote survivors or winners are visible and we listen to them we might be self-conscious because we might think that these survivors represent the majority and that we are much less successful or attractive or smart in comparison to them. Like, for example, let's think about all those absolutely beautiful models on the covers of magazines and on Instagram. All these women featured in the media are incredibly attractive and fulfill these Western beauty expectations. And I personally, as one of many women who grew up in a society that bombarded them with information about how a woman should look, I can tell you that this is a very, very dangerous effect of this bias. Because since the only women that we see in the media, in television, on social media, and sometimes like even in sports or in politics, they are stereotypically very attractive. That can make an average citizen think that this is the standard of beauty that this is the way an average, a normal, a healthy woman should look. And if they themselves do not look this way, they f- might feel or I wait, I'm just gonna speak for myself, I might feel inadequate because I do not live up to that standard. Because right is a standard, right? No, it actually seems like the standard because of this survivorship bias but the reality is that these models only represent like the top one percent of the quote-unquote survivors of the winners of the people who got lucky in the way that makes them praised in the society they are just those who made it to the large audience or big screens but this doesn't necessarily mean that this makes them normal actually it's the contrary and makes them the exceptions, not the rule, just like the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. But when you're a small girl, and everywhere you look, you are surrounded with these gorgeous women, this is what you think is the norm. And you don't have enough knowledge or experiences to think about survivorship bias, of course, and think about, well, what is the data that I'm not seeing here? And why am I only seeing this? You are not these American military leaders that finally understood that what they're looking at is only the survivors so yeah survivorship bias can be a real bitch and so i think it's important for us to talk about how we can overcome this and like i said the first thing that you have to do is to ask questions is to realize that what you are looking at might probably just be the survivors and you should consider all the things that started on the same path but didn't make it. So, for example, when someone is giving you a piece of information, and especially when this information seems counterintuitive, like, you know, it's better to drop out of college to create a successful startup than to continue your education. Um, Before you accept that information, ask, well, what is the thing that led you to make the statements that you are making? as well as what is the other data that could be there in the denominator that we don't have? And what might be the reasons that we don't have that data? Because there might be just a gap in the information gathering process where some of this opposite data might get lost. I mean, consider the example of a person who is responsible for the hiring process in a company. If a job interviewer says... I'm so great at interviewing. You could ask, okay, well, what is the data that you are basing that on? And they will probably answer, well, my hires. And great, what is the process that generated it? Hires and not hires. Okay, but what you're missing is the not hires. You only know about the people you hired, but maybe you just missed out on a fucking genius simply because you are not a great interviewer, but you will not going to know that. So it's almost like a very simple thing where you just need to ask the question, what is the data that is not present? What is missing here? And so this leads to another way that we can overcome it and that is to try to seek out those stories of failures as well. They are far more important than we intuitively realize. They are in fact the key to overcoming survivorship bias. In short, survivorship bias means that we miss out on learning from people or products or ideas that didn't succeed. And because some of the most important information on the road to success or growth or just yeah, education often comes from a balanced evaluation of what really differentiates the good outcomes from the bad so whatever it is that you're trying to achieve this year, if it's, well you know, the thing that I'm always saying is learning to play the piano because I still really want to get better at it, or if it's like starting your own business or growing your YouTube channel, whatever it is, I know that considering survivorship bias when presented with examples of success in your area is difficult because, you know, it's not instinctive to pause and reflect and think through what the base rate odds of success are and whether you are looking at an outlier or the expected outcome. You just listen to, you know, Gary Vee or Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg and you're just like, oh my god, that makes sense. I'm gonna do the same thing. But actually, it's that when you don't know the real odds, when you don't know about the huge amount of people who did the same things but did not succeed, if you don't know, if you are looking at an example of survivorship bias, then you've got a blind spot, then it can actually be very harmful and this lack of knowledge, this bad perception of reality can lead you actually to not succeeding because you will make the same choices as, you know, what is a good YouTuber? Uh, let me think. David Dobrik, for example, you will do the same thing as David Dobrik because you will think that this is a great example of what should I do, but actually he might be an outlier. He might just got lucky and because you chose the same strategy, you might fail. So whenever you read about a success story in the media, just think about all the people who try to do what that person did and failed. And of course, like understanding survivorship bias is not an excuse for not taking action. And I'm not saying that you should just give up because it's just unrealistic to think about success. But I think it's just an essential tool to help you cut through the noise and clearly understand what is going on in the world. Just if you're going to do something, do it fully informed, right? So... This is all I have for you today when it comes to the survivorship bias. I hope that it can be helpful in your endeavors in 2022 in and- reaching your goals you can always email me at podcast.beingbetter at gmail.com with your thoughts about everything that I talked about today I'm very curious to know what you think and now when it comes to my inside of the week I feel like I haven't done a full inside of the week segment my recent realization actually what I realized while sitting drunk in the middle of the people on New Year's Eve so that was like a great experience but what I realized Is that humans, all of us are mostly motivated by just wanting to be with other people and wanting to be respected by other people. And you know, that counts as you know wanting to have like romantic love or wanting to be with friends or like having friends or being accepted by our family. A lot of what we do is even if we are older. Is motivated by the need to be accepted by our parents who might have not gave us the validation that we needed as kids. Or it's also motivated by our need to belong to a community of like-minded people because very often someone might think that they are an, like an introvert or not really social, but actually... They really want to spend time with people who are like them. Like I had experiences of friends who thought that they were not really social until they met people who were like them, who had the same passions, who had the same view of the world, who had who loved the same TV series or like doing the same things. And then suddenly, they realized that, actually, oh, I love spending time with them. So I think, even if I, if you don't realize it, because sometimes this need is hidden behind things, like, for example, we really want to buy a certain pair of shoes or a certain product, and we might just think that this need is just because, you know, we want to have this material position, and I think that, yeah, in some way that is true, but I think it's mostly motivated by, the thought that if we have that thing then other people are going to admire us and we are going to be with great people, people that are going to respect us and we're going to have great status in our group and I think it doesn't have necessarily have to be toxic. I think very often I'm just talking about those needs as if they are a bad thing. I don't necessarily think that our need to be with other people is bad. I just realized that we are so motivated by it and me when i find people that i love that i admire that share the same values as me suddenly everything that used to be like hard or annoying just becomes like i don't really care when i'm with them you know and when i have an insightful conversation suddenly i don't care about that it's cold or that i have other things to do or that i'm tired or that i have a headache or like all of my priorities suddenly disappear And I just want to be with those people. And I think it's an incredible force that we can be motivated by. And, you know, I want to really use it and keep that in mind. Just how incredibly powerful and energizing and motivating the need to be with people, like-minded people and the need to work with them, be accepted by them. The need to share my common humanity with the people that I love And I want to keep in mind how powerful that is um, because, right, in all the struggles that you have, I think when you do them with other people, it actually becomes not such a bad thing. Growing up, I had a friend and her mother was a nurse and I know that she was doing an incredibly hard job every day working with disabled people and doing a job that is not graceful that is very hard and she was faced with death and illness and sickness and i know that it was a hard job but i know that she had a very good community and that work she always talked about that she had a lot of friends other nurses and they were like family and you know together they were never sad they were dancing they were laughing and joking while they were working because together, you know, they, they felt this sense of sisterhood. And suddenly that work did not feel hard. She said that actually she felt like she was doing something meaningful. And because she's doing it with people that she cares about, the work did not feel that bad. So this is my insight. I'm going to leave you with that. Leave you to ponder it. As always, you can hit me up with your thoughts on Instagram or or using our email, I would love to know your thoughts. And that will be that. So now, please, please, please take care of yourself. And if you can, of someone else too. And I'll speak to you in the next episode. Being Better is edited and produced by Julia Sport. You can learn more about the show and about other work over at our website, beingbetter.info. And the Instagram is at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is by word of mouth. So if you can, please tell your family, your friends and what the hell, also tell your enemies. You know, we don't discriminate on this podcast. So tell them about the show, tell them about why you like it and about why you like the incredibly amazing and very humble host. You can also share it on social media platforms and if you tag us, we'll make sure to reply. Thank you so much for joining us today and I will speak to you very, very soon.